Welcome everybody to the future podcast, a future church podcast with me, Anthony Delaney. You can tell I got it wrong already because it's been a while since I did this. I even forgot the name of my own podcast. So um, I'm sure the good thing is when something like that happens, it can only get better from here. And I know it will because uh, I'm so excited to be able to talk with my friend from a number of years. We got to know each other since we were both well, I was briefly on the board of Exponential Europe, and I think it was around that time that we first had a great chat. I seem to remember uh, sitting in the back of a minibus um, going around <laughs> uh, Berlin. Berlin, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so since then, um, I've connected with uh, John McGinley um, in various settings. Uh, he's been to launch. He's always been a great supporter. Somebody's cheered us on. Uh, in various ways, together with uh, the wonderful Bishop Rick Thorpe, who is also a great friend who's just loves the church, wherever the church is, um, whatever. The, and, and so we are so grateful um, to you, John, for being on the Future Church podcast. Uh, thanks for being with me today. Oh, it's great to be with you, Anthony. Yeah, love, love connecting and love all that we share together. So looking forward to it. Brilliant. In a bit, I'm going to talk about your book, The Church of Tomorrow which I really enjoyed. I messaged you, I think, when I was about halfway through it and said, this is such a blessing to me to read your book. Um, it, you know, it kind of tells it like it is, but it also uh, describes what could be. Um, you know, some people can tell us everything that's wrong, um, but it's good for us to be able to uh, have, a, have some knowledge about what's going on and then to be able to think, yes, but what does God say and what does God um, want to see happening in his church mm. in the church of Jesus Christ so I know that you work now uh, in the Anglican church that you have positions of responsibility there could you just tell us a little bit about yourself John so for those who, who don't know your background um, where you're living now I know you recently moved from somewhere else yeah. and uh, wait you know what's the what's the story your backstory John yeah so as, as briefly as possible for people um uh, was a very rebellious teenager came to faith when I realized that everything I'd done just had made me miserable and and when I when I came to faith I had a real encounter with the Holy Spirit and uh and that just set me on a sense of a passion for the things of God and a longing to see Jesus made known to other people. Um, when after I'd done university, I'd, I'd sensed a call to church leadership, but I went to work for Harrods in Knightsbridge, running their sports departments for um, for four years, uh, just as a way of testing that call and living out my faith, sharing Jesus in the midst of all of that. And then uh, then was ordained in the Church of England. Have led three churches um, for the last twenty seven years, uh, and then. Um, the last of which was Holy Trinity Leicester, a little picture behind me on the wall, and uh, loved it there. Saw um, God open up the opportunity for church planting, missional communities, uh, real growth in the prophetic um, uh, and the miraculous, and a uh, real privilege to lead that church. And out of that, had a sense of God stirring me for this question of what's it going to take to re-evangelize this nation? And what I had as a conviction was it's going to take thousands of new churches um, in order to uh, to see new people come to know Jesus. They need a, a connection with a living church that's close to them. And if we're going to do that, our church planting has to be faster. It has to be cheaper. Uh, it has to be much more agile and responsive uh, under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so 
I talked with Rick Thorpe, who you mentioned, and he said, okay, let's do it, John. And we formed Myriad, which I now lead, which is part of the Gregory Center for Church Multiplication that Rick leads. And that has a vision for 10,000 new churches um, led predominantly by people who haven't been on a long training course, but who have mentoring and support to enable them to form a church that will reach new people where God has positioned them. And uh, we're doing that out of the Church of England, but across all different streams and denominations. And that's led me to live uh, just north of um, High Wycombe that gets me into London, uh, but up north on the M40 or on the train line as I try to set up training centres for this across the country. So hope that gives a little bit of a snapshot of what, um, yeah, what I'm passionate about and, and, and where I'm at at the moment. Fantastic. Thanks very much, John. So looking back on that, you know, I say there's a varied um uh, you know experiences that you've done 27 years so what year were you actually ordained so i was ordained in 1996 ah okay yeah i think and i was ordained kneeling next to rick thorpe oh, wow. <laughs> and, we and we didn't know each other then and it's it's just one of those things that god did Mm. And then, and then he called us back together, and now, and now we're working, yeah, closely together, yeah. Well, some people who are on the call might not know that I'm ordained as well, still. I know. Of, uh, what I'm doing, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I was, actually, I was a year before you, I think it turns okay. out. Yeah. But I, I wasn't, and I wasn't kneeling next to him, but I was ordained. It turned out when I met him the same year as the Archbishop of Canterbury. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so that's at least a, some kind of a claim to fame. <laughs> so when Rick, when Rick thought became a bishop, my wife said to me, "So he's just become a bishop. You didn't do very well, did you?" <laughs> well, you can you can tell her compared with me and the, the Archbishop, Archbishop of Canterbury. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. I'm a total underachiever. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, well, fantastic. And uh, I know that when you're in Leicester, you're connected to a mutual friend, or he, he was part of your church, Steve Addison, Steve yes. And um, you know that must have been um, you know helpful because of the, uh, the the his strategies, I suppose, because we can have the dream. And I know that Steve would be great at helping us to think and, and look back as a student of history over different movements. But he also had some great uh, kind of tools as well and, and for ways to help people to be able to make yeah. disciples who make disciples, etc. What was it like having Steve in your church? Oh, it's, it was just the greatest gift that we could have had. I met him um, when he did some training that I attended. And he was in London at the time and he was bringing and what I is such a gift for us bringing these principles from these rapidly multiplying movements across the world into the UK and saying you've got to work out how this connects with what God's doing here and and brought those tools and as I saw it I thought this is this is exactly what we need and um, as you said it's not just theory it's we can get people to engage in this and then we can work it out and so I said to Steve, look, I want you to come. He came to Leicester and then he said, I think I'm being called to come and base myself with you, John. And so he came and based himself with us for three years. And we went on a journey and that journey was of a leadership team that then had to confess we weren't living missionally day by day. And then out of us applying those tools to our lives and seeing God then see people come to know Jesus and us totally transformed 
We then took the leadership of our missional communities um, on this journey. And they went from having acknowledged that 80% of them had not shared Jesus in the last year to almost 100% of them sharing Jesus because of the practical training. And he took us out on the streets, took us into the harvest, as he calls us. He took us door to door. And, uh, and it really built confidence, first of all, that people were, were set free from the lie that people were not open to hear about Jesus or respond spiritually. And just by getting us out, we realized people, there was a hunger in people and there was an openness to people. Um, I remember we, we visited 1,500 homes in a week um, in Leicester and um, a thousand of them were in and over 500 of them let us pray with them. And people then realized, okay, there are the people are open. God is preparing hearts. There's a spiritual hunger. So he he really transformed that. And then we developed training that went into the life of um, of each of our believers within our missional communities. And again, they found that really hard. Um, they found it hard to realized that actually they were expected to apply this training not just um think about it and you know they that was a real challenge for them there was accountability there was challenge in there but at the end of it people who told me that they were never going to do any of this were people that jesus used to lead somebody to know to know him yeah so so that's that's genuinely the fruit of what happened for us with steve and I think where we were, where it left us was it shifted the default setting of us as a church and, and each believer. But when we stopped being active in the training, we didn't go back, but we definitely slipped back. It, it was that it didn't break the consumerism and lack of confidence and lack of missional um, lifestyle completely. And we've then had to learn how do we sustain that when we're not just talking about it all the time? Because there's much more to being a Christian than just being on mission, but it has to be at the core of us. And I think I think that's the wrestling of it. And then the other piece was the, the gravitational pull of the big church was still really strong. And the pastoral DNA of that setup was still really strong. And so we didn't see the multiplication that we longed for but we really did see the growth in confidence in missional lifestyle and seeing people come to know Jesus. So, yeah, I think, I think it's, I'm, I'm wanting to share that because I think that he brings that input and then we're trying to wrestle it out within our context. And I think that's where the church is as a whole at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. I, I think, uh, what I love about what you are doing and the Gregory Centre, etc., cetera, uh, Myriad, it's actually practitioners, yeah. if I can say that as well. You know, people like Christian who, as well and others who've been yeah. doing this stuff. And and that's what's needed. I'm not just leaning in here on, on, an, on the Anglican Church specifically. Um, I, I think that, you know, uh, denominations... Are pretty much you know off most of them are in trouble in some way shape yeah. or form yeah at the same time a lot of the money that is spent effectively to me it seems to often be spent on on um kind of managerial roles um that in some ways seem like a specialism 
um, but actually aren't anything to do with the mission of the church itself. Um, and, you know, it, it's like if you were, I don't know, if you were running a, a, anything that was meant to be influencing people to change in some way, you know, I mean, for argument's sake, if you were, if you were running a garage trying to sell cars and you just had everybody in the back room sorting out the paperwork mm. and making sure that, that was all right and sending out lists of how to, um, you know, do various things and pushing. <laughs> but you didn't actually have anybody there who'd ever sold a car who could speak to somebody and have some knowledge about cars and, help, you know, and answer questions and all those kind of things. You're not going to sell many cars. No. And, you know, so my, uh, what encourages me is, is to be able to look at this kind of thing and think, well, it's leading the way forward because it's people who have actually, um, as you said, well, you worked in Harrods. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you've been with people you know, helping them. Um, I, you know, there's a, there's a, people say that, again, one of the declining issues you see in lots of uh, institutions. So in the police, when I was in the police, we had people who ended up being promoted and um but they they'd never the phrase was he's never seen an angry man yeah <laughs> and it was that it was that you'd actually never really walked to beat now you might have you know it looked made it look as if you'd kind of been in on works at some police station but it was on some sort of fast track where you were able to avoid contact with the actual public and the people with problems and learn to be able to deal with them but you had a degree in something or another. And the next thing was they made you a sergeant inspector, chief inspector above, and then you were telling others what to do. So what, what you're describing to me seems an empowering of the bottom up. Yes. What exactly right. do you think? And again, I know you've, you've referenced this obliquely in some ways in the church of tomorrow. Um, what, what, what can change to change this? I've got on page five, the denomination, within which I'm privileged to serve is the Church of England, which experienced 70 years, continuous decline in the last 20 years. We've lost 40% of our active members under the age of 18, 24% of all adults, so that the average age of somebody worshipping in a Church of England church is 61, compared with the national average of 41. And uh, you then quote Linda Woodhead saying, the greatest failure of the church, and that's the big church, not just Church of England, in our lifetime has been its refusal to take decline mm. seriously. We can only do so much from the bottom up. What perhaps needs to change in the way that things are done top, top down, do you, do, in your opinion? So, yeah, I think, I think it is bottom up and top down. I think that the top down piece creates the environment. It creates it's, it's the structures, it's the, it's the understanding and the vision of what a, of a disciple looks like, of what a church is, of what... Um, of who can lead within it and and that's so much of what I'm addressing in the book is saying that at the top-down level we have to create a, a different vision of, of what the church of Jesus Christ looks like than the one that we've inherited mm -hmm. so we inherited it from Christendom which is a single in those days man leading as the professional minister whose job was just to deliver services on a Sunday that people would um, desire uh, expected to attend and that was something that, in some ways, it was never the fullness of what the church is meant to be, but it sort of worked when everybody was expected to be a Christian. And now we're in a missionary society and a missional context, um, it just does not work. But that is still this default setting that I was referencing before, a pastoral model with a Sunday focus. 
So somehow the top down has to change the vision of what church looks like. So in what we're doing with Myriad is we're saying um, uh, somebody in their everyday life can experience the call of God in which he begins to put on their heart that there needs to be a church that is close to um, either people that they work with, people that they live next to in a neighborhood that is not connected with church, in a demographic a community, and they can be called by Jesus to form that church. And they, they're the best person to do it because they know the people, they know the culture, they love the people, they've got relationships with those people. And so if they start to form church there in a new way, that is authentic, that isn't institutional, that isn't about rules and regulations, but is about um, a community of people with Jesus at the center of it, seeking to obey and follow him, then people, I think, in our culture will get to look at that and go, oh, that makes sense to me. That, that touches something of the hunger in my soul um, for, for what I'm looking for. Whereas they look at the church currently and they see it being presented as institution, as building, as regulation, and the result is they go, no, that's, that has nothing to offer me. So I think that the leadership of the church can begin to give a picture of who can lead, um, what does church look like? It simply looks as a community gathered around Jesus, and that can be in a home, in a community meeting space. It doesn't require um, big resources. Um, uh, it can have different expressions, and I'm not against larger churches, but I'm, I'm really wanting people to recapture this sense of disciples being empowered to lead in the call that Jesus has put on their lives. And, and at the moment, as we've started to do this within the Church of England, uh, people are now waking up to it and really beginning to step into it. But early on, there was such a pushback saying, that we're devaluing um, the established church, we're devaluing training, we're, uh, we're not um, going to be doing this safely. And actually, the whole model is based on those who are the professional ministers are called to release everyone into their calling, rather than just to deliver services. So we're not devaluing it, we're not trying to destroy it all, we're actually trying to release and empower people through it. And I think that if we are going to see thousands of, of new churches and millions of people uh, come to know Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit begins to move, we have to empower every single person to realize that they have a calling and that they have to learn how to live missionally confidently. And they have to learn that Jesus might want them to start a new church community to connect because uh, that's either the fruit of mission and church forms because people come to know him or it's church is formed in a place in order to fulfill mission um, and so that's why I'm so passionate about releasing people to plant new churches in these ways yeah okay so I'm going to press in on that a little bit um, I've said for years obviously I kind of came out sideways anyway from the Church of England mm. structures over 15 years ago when it came up to Ivy which is a non-denominational church established over 100 years ago um but what i found was when i was in my previous church we were growing really fast and i was planting in places 
that I still think legally, if I was in the Church of England, I'd have got in big trouble for. I got yes. in trouble then because I was planting outside of my parish in all kinds of different ways. Um, and on one occasion had, uh, you know, the vicar of that parish oppose me yeah. from doing it and said that you know, I shouldn't be using this particular building because it was in his parish. Yeah. Um, I remember it wasn't my finest moment um, when he was kind of having a go at me. And I said, well, look, in there this week, they've had a new age fair and spiritualism and uh, yogic, yoga stuff going on. Is it only the Christian things that you're opposed to? So, yeah, I am. Um, but but you can probably see why I didn't stay <laughs> after a while. But but the, the the thing is, since then, here's what I say. We, we were employing people as well who were not ordained. I was told by those you will never we will never give you a cure. I was told because basically we don't want any more like you. We were rocking the boat. It's not an easy time. And I think sometimes pioneers can feel, can be pushed out of places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where they, you yeah. know, and some of that might, you know, again, even might have demonstrated by that. Some of it is of your own causing as well, um, taking some responsibility in that. Um, but then, so we had people for various ministries. We just paid them anyway. And, but now, uh, over the years, we've I've, you know raised up lots of different leaders in different capacities to plant different churches, and been doing that for a number of years. And the question that nobody ever asks is, "Are you ordained?" Yeah. The people who who are coming to those services or ministries, whatever they are, the ones who are yeah. leading them are the up front. I've never had anybody tell me that they've been asked about their qualifications if you like or there when yeah. were they you know who ordained you when were you ordained all those kind of things because in the end what they can see is the fruit of the ministry and it's like well you love me you led me to jesus or you're you're you know you you brought me to him etc mm. and it's a bit like i can see you're you're ordained in the sense of set apart by god for some form mm. of ministry however the i would suggest that in you know denominationalism the only people who would bring such an objection are the already ordained. Yes, yes, exactly. So, what, how you know? Because and some of them would say, "Well, yes, I am ordained, and my job is to just do services." Um, uh, yeah. So, are you trying? You know, what 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 what, 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 it, it, what real role is there for me in the church if it isn't to be that man at the front that you just described? Who, well, we're not doing much, but I do everything of what we're doing. Yeah. What's the, so, how, how do we deal with that? Or do, or do we just kind of go, well, that is what it is? I don't know. So I think that um, Jesus said, um, when he used the illustration of wineskins, he allowed the old and the new to coexist. And so um, I'm, I'm not a great believer in trying to tr force people who don't want to change into change. Um, but in presenting a new way of doing church alongside the old, what begins to happen is definitely happening. People are waking up and going, okay, I, I can see this now. And so, uh, so they, we're then training um, existing ordained leaders in oversight ministry so that they can do the empowering accountability uh, supporting in a really healthy way. And it's fascinating to discover that they've never done this before. I mean, it's just crazy, um, but they love it. And they see the joy of others growing through their support 
and they see that the church expand without them having to do everything and they then begin to get that actually this this isn't a threat to their ministry it's a release and multiplication of their ministry so that's definitely happening um but the other thing that that we just need to notice is it's even though it's the institution that objects to all of this the mindset that has been inherited within everybody within within the church is this idea of i'm just laity not clergy and even though that's not a biblical term and and i really hate the term and bart said it was the worst word in the english language <laughs> laity um is it's a mindset that still limits people in their understanding of who they are in Jesus Christ because they've unconsciously accepted that the clergy are the ones with the training, the expertise, the professionals, mm. the people who get the permission to do all of this. And what I get to do as just a follower of Jesus is in a much smaller box. And so what I think we're doing is we're opening up these new ways of being church um, and new ways of leading and saying you get trained alongside what you do. You don't have to go away to college. Um, it's not that you shouldn't have some training, it's good, but it's alongside to equip you for what you're called to uh, rather than a qualification. And, uh, and then you get mentoring because we need fathers and mothers um, to actually raise up people. And so there's, there's healthy relationships established. And so as we're doing that, the new forms of church begin to get people to go, oh, okay, now I see it. Um, and most people can't conceptualize this, but when they see it happen, they go, oh, okay, if they can do it, then maybe I can do it. And for anyone, anyone that's listening to this um, as a leader, people often say, well, I, I've only got a small church. I, I just encourage people to do two things that Jesus did. He prayed and fasted for 40 days and then he chose 12 people. So I just encourage people to start praying, Lord, who are you at work in? And where's there's an opportunity to raise up a leader and release them into their calling? And then look for that person and then begin to work with them and invest in them or two or three people and see what God might do. And I genuinely think when every church leader begins to do that, that begins to change the culture and shift things. And then if each believer can begin to go, Lord, I want I want you to take the limitations of what I could be used by you to do. I want to step up into the, the fullness of, of what it means to live um, a fully devoted and authentic uh, life following you, Jesus. And again, as we begin to open ourselves to that, all kinds of different things um, start to happen. Um, I'd, I'd love to tell a couple of stories later on. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So what would be for you the marks then? Uh, I mean, it's a fairly standard question of what, you know, when does it go beyond being a an outreach or a house group to become? Yeah, really oh, good that's, question. A, that's, that's a church now. We can, you know, yes. and who who gets to say that? Yeah, really interesting. So I think um, somebody can get to say it if they are just being called by God to, to set that up independently um, in, in that they've identified that, they've checked it out with, with other Christians who counsel them, but they feel that calling. They get to, I think there is a freedom to, to choose to do that. But if you're being sent as, and you're remaining part of a church where I think this is much more um, significant, 
it's where that new community is given an identity and is seen as distinct from the sending church and that their relationship back into the church is one for support not one for delivery of worship or any other regular action activity of, of the christian life and so that new community is the single place where people are drawing on each other for the life that they're living to follow Jesus. And therefore, it needs to um, have obviously have scripture, prayer, worship, um, communion, baptism, um, all part of it, because that's what Jesus has given to the church. And it needs to be a place where people are seeking to make disciples. Um, and so that can happen around a dinner table. Um, uh, where people are just meeting in a home. It can happen in a much bigger group that's being planted into a school or a community centre. Um, so it's all different shapes and sizes, but the key is that it has a distinct life of its own that is separate from the sending church, but the relationship with that sending church is for support rather than we still go to church there. Mm. Okay, so it's predominantly the thing you're involved with is Anglican is Church of England yep what's going to prevent it from becoming something whereby people in other churches that aren't necessarily Anglican churches that are pioneers and are kind of um, uh, you know being entrepreneurial etc just over the years I've bumped into people who have in some way connected back into some Church of England setting. Mm. And just because they've got a bit about them, the next thing is I see them being ordained. Yes. It still <laughs> seems to be that it's like, oh, well, if you've got anything about you and you're connected to us, then your next step is we're going to get you on an ordination path. And then Facebook pictures are them in their robes again <laughs> on a particular day. And he kind of go, oh, that's what it was about. You know, it, it, I know it's, it sounds cynical. It's just, you know, there's people I know who have kind of thought, you, look, you were doing all of this anyway. You, you're that kind of a person. Yeah. And, and you don't need necessarily to, you know, what's the, you know, just, again, I'm not trying not, not to in any way to appear cynical over it. It's the, it's yeah. the kind of the, the, the resisting the pull of the institution to formalise something that in the end um, is meant to be on the edges. Yes. And people no, who are really meant good. to be pioneers and on the fringes who, who, oh, you've got that in you. Let's pull you into the centre and you can help the rest yeah. of us. But it becomes yeah. a little bit like the old thing they say about crabs in a bucket where, you know, they're all holding on to each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thing. Don't you go too? Well, you know, I don't know. I, I, I've not, not thought about the question before. It's just something that, as you were saying, we sort of... Yeah, crazy. it's really interesting in that some people might get called to be ordained. And my vision is, is that in the future, the only people who ever get called to ordained have already planted a church. Um, that mm. would be a great test of their calling. And uh, But I think that the, the reason why lots of people will never get ordained is because to be ordained in the Church of England currently means they take you out of the context you're in, they, they put you in a different context for training, send you off for um, two, three years of college training, even if you've got a different context to be based in, and then they give you a curacy for another three, four years. And after seven years, you get to lead a church. 
to, but they broadened you, John. Oh, yes, they have. Yeah, they've put a load of stuff in you. Some of that's good, some of that's not so good. But, <laughs> um, but the the reason why lots of people won't, and I see this particularly in, in young people, is because they feel a call to the place, to the people, to the context that they're already in. And their passion is a church community that authentically reflects the place they're called to. So I, I think of Sam and Bev, who um, lead a little church in their in their house. Uh, they live in East London. Um, he works um, as a social worker. She she works um, in maternity care, and together they formed a church in the midst of a multicultural community. They're both from non-white backgrounds, and uh, and I was in their room uh, about a month ago. Uh, somebody had been invited along by a friend. He was saying that he had. Um, pain and uh, that the doctors couldn't deal with we prayed for him he was pain-free for the first time in three years and he gave his life to jesus wow come on um, now they are not ordained they're living in the street that god put them in and they love their community and the only way in which paul who came to faith was going to come to faith was through the relationships that he had with those people he wasn't going to walk into a church um and and they they love the fact that as soon as that's happened, we're also having a barbecue in the afternoon afterwards and we're just hanging out and people are coming and going and and that's church. Mm. And and for them to be asked to go off to train and uh, to do something separate um, just feels like it is a complete disconnect from their calling. But because we're now saying you can be called into this, and you can do it this way, they, that almost gives them permission to hear the call. Once they've heard it, there's no way they want to go and get ordained. Mm. And so I think that the only route before was ordination. And that's yeah. why all of those people that you saw ended up in those robes. Mm. I think more and more people are going to go, actually, this is the shape of my calling. That I'm meant to be working in this field. I'm meant to be um, serving God in this way, as well as leading church and forming community in this space. Um, and so I, I think that it's by creating the new model. Now, what we do in Myriad is we create a pathway in which um, Sam and Bev and some other members of their team come together with other teams and they're on a journey and there's some training input and resources online and a mentor for them. And they're feeling held and supported. Um, and they, they would say that it's been transformational for them because at the moment they're trying to do something they've never seen anybody else do. Mm. Um, but they, they're not on their own. So it's not a reckless, just have a go thing. And it's without any relationships outside of their church. There is a, an accountability and support. But equally, it doesn't, it doesn't take them out of the context of their calling. And that's why I think it's um, it's it's a, it's a new day. I really do see God doing something new. So, but if this was a Church of England specifically, one would they be allowed to do communion, baptize people? What about services that are authorized versus yeah. not? Is there any of that involved, yeah. or, or is there a you know is at some point a switching bait whereby you've grown to a certain <laughs> amount of size, and so now you have to pay your quota or whatever yeah. is that what's that you know yeah. i'm genuinely asking these questions as somebody who doesn't know the answer no, that's fine yeah so that'll yeah. be helpful for everyone else yeah um i think that uh there's still there's still 
institutional challenges for us in the Church of England. So um, what makes these churches Anglican, we say, is just the fact that they have an ordained overseer who's, who's supporting them. Um, sorry, I'm just going to have a little drink. Yeah. So they've got an ordained person supporting them, like me. That's what makes them Anglican. They don't have to follow any authorised services, don't have to fulfil any other requirements. When it comes to baptism and communion, that is where the institution still requires it to be done by an ordained priest. Um, we have ways of getting around that. So according to whatever the local bishop decides, there's more or less freedom. So either the ordained person supporting them will have to come in to do it, but that feels like it's an imposition, somebody coming from outside. But if they've built the relationship well, it can be done in a healthy way. But the best way that we've seen is um, they're given permission for agape meals using bread and wine in their homes. And the Eucharist is something that just happens in an authorised building with a authorised liturgy. So we create a distinction. Again, it's not ideal, it's not what I believe, um, but it's it's a way of working with the mm -hmm. structures. Yeah. Um, and, and baptisms, again, are required from an ordained person, but the person who actually does the baptism in a birthing pool or in, a, um, in the sea um, mm. can be the person who's the lay person leading that church, mm. but the ordained leader is leading that, that baptism service. So... Those, those are still the points that, um, that are frustrating. We're wanting to honour the, the church that we're part of, but we're also wanting to open things up and be disruptive because we really believe God wants to set the church free. Amen. One, just flipping back to that story again, you talked about that person who came to faith, having had prayer for healing and receiving that. Um, what, 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 what excites you about maybe what God's doing, some of the things that we're, you're seeing in terms of uh, what's the Holy Spirit mm. doing in the church right now? And what, you know, what, what we're beginning to see, what do we long for? Um, you know, I'm certainly at launch this year. We're going to be looking at issues around church. We're going to be looking at community. We're going to be looking at culture. We're going to be looking at, uh, you know, culture inside churches as well mm. as what's the wider culture uh, and how do we engage with that? But, but for me, I, I, I've just had this sense since my sabbatical that we need the supernatural as if we, as, as if there's, as if you could ever have a church that isn't supernatural. It's just yeah. a ridiculous idea not to, but so what, you know, what have you seen to encourage us in that? Yeah, I think that, first of all, I think that in the culture, there is, there's a growing spiritual hunger. Um, and so there's such an opportunity now. Um, and there's a real openness. The challenge is, is we then have a church that isn't confident to meet people in those spaces in a way that works. And I think the supernatural is a key part of that. Um, one of the things that, that I wrote about in the book is that I think that we almost substituted the Holy Spirit with other things in that we, we came up with our clever ideas, we came up with our strategies, our ways of manufacturing church um, that weren't bad, but almost were born out of a sense of, I'm not quite sure if God is going to turn up, so we better make things look good. 
and and I think in church and out in mission what people are looking for is an authentic sharing of lives in community and where people know that we love them where we're where we're genuine in the way in which we connect with them and then then what we have to offer them is is a real tangible encounter with God um, now it doesn't mean that there there aren't ways to explain the gospel and talk about faith that aren't helpful for people but they're looking for reality and so if we can equip people to grow in confidence in sharing um, uh, the prayer with people uh, releasing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit mm. wherever they are then that just cuts across the questions so literally with this guy Paul we were saying so so Jesus has healed you and touched you. Um, you, you know, you should want to to follow Him, and uh, and will you will you begin to follow Him and be part of uh, His church? And He basically said, "Of course I will. I've, nobody else could sort this out. Mm. I've been trying to see doctors for three years and I haven't got a clue. And one time of prayer, and he's and he's healed me. Who, who who else would I want to follow? And and it's and it's that that the supernatural does. It just brings the reality of God to people. And so, I think that we have to work really um, intentionally to help people grow in confidence uh, of how to offer prayer and uh, and release the presence of God in amongst the, their daily lives. And that's what we see in the New Testament, and that's what we see around the world. Uh, and it's not a big charismatic thing. It's very ordinary. It's just the offer of prayer and understanding that God can turn up in this moment. Mm. And we've got to restore confidence in that to the people of God. Otherwise, we're going to end up still trying to manufacture church. Now, what I love about these small churches that I'm working with is they don't have the ability to impress anybody with any other stuff. All they have to offer is an authentic community and a reality of God. And what I see in that is there is a deep dependency on God as a result. That helps them to understand why we have to pray more fervently, where we have to birth everything in prayer, where we have to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, even if it doesn't make sense, because we don't have any great plans because we have nothing with great resource and that would impress anyone to offer them. So we just have to follow him and be obedient to him and trust that he's leading us in mm. the mission that he's called us to. And there's, and you know, for me, you know, I'm just serving these really small, very ordinary communities, but seeing God do this again and again, and it's beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's it. I love it. Um, the, I mean, and some of the things we've spoken about have been um, perhaps a little bit kind of technical church geeky stuff. <laughs> the, 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 for me, you used a great analogy in the book about the trellis mm. and the and the plant. I don't know if it, what, that really helped me think into this. What, what, was, what was that about, John? Well, it's really just trying to help people understand that this isn't going to just be a tweak of the existing model. God is having to to dismantle things. And the reason is, is that the trellis that was put up in Christendom was designed to help the church grow. And there was good intention and, and, and a lot of good within it. But it, it became the focus of things rather than the plant itself. And, that, and in doing that, it almost moves from being a trellis to becoming the prison bars. 
they then imprison us. They set the limits on what the church mm. can be and the plant withers and we end up just paying attention to the trellis. And, and so I really do believe, and the book begins with a prophetic word from a friend of mine that is, is quite strong saying that God is going to dismantle human construction and he wants to see the, the life of the, of the church become an organic movement again. And therefore we have to have courage not to be the expert in the old, but actually to become learners and disciples in the new that God is, is, is leading us into. That takes courage. It's not easy. It's costly. Because uh, some of the stuff we do will still work. But in and of its essence, it is not lined up with what the church is meant to be. And it's not about empowering everyone in the fullness of their discipleship. So I really do think God is going to start to dismantle things quite significantly and uh, he's inviting those of us who are willing to hear him to step into the new and my favorite sermon at the moment it, it has the title I don't know I don't know what this is going to look like I don't know how to do this I don't know how to how, how this is all going to work out and but I I know he does Mm. And, and I know that he's doing this in other people. So I know he's doing it in you, Anthony. I know he's doing it in others. And as we're, as we're wrestling with that together, and that's what I love about launch, is it just creates a space for us to come together with others who sense the spirit saying this to the church. But we don't yet know how it's going to work out. We don't know how to do it yet, but we're willing to obey and work it out together. And I think that's the, that's the invitation that God's giving his church at the moment. Yeah, thank you for uh, giving that mention of launch. For anybody who's listening who doesn't know what it is, if you go to launchcatalyst.org, you can um, book on there and come and see us. Um, there's some changes I'm working through at the moment about when and where, and uh, it's a kind of a bit of a due to unforeseen circumstances. Some things have happened that have made it going to change to some extent, but we will be in touch with everybody who's booking on that before we, uh, we we do it all but the other thing that i know that uh, i was privileged to come uh, down to the y1 base um harpened in a while ago john and you and i met and you were uh, involved with something called the send uh, mm. which many here may have heard of but not others will have done coming out of something before it called the call but um could you just help us think into that what's what's the, what's the send all about yeah, well, another conviction for me and what God's doing with his church is that he's wanting to release the next generation to, to do church and to follow him in a way that isn't just a rinse and repeat of what we've seen. And so we need to be, those of our generation need to be those empowering, releasing leaders, not that we um, we abdicate um, responsibility, but that we really re empower them to do things differently. And the send is, is a is a way that gathers young adults and young people from across all the streams to, to see each other, to connect with one another, to see what God's doing and to come together in one a catalytic event in which they say they're all in for Jesus. They're going to live um, a radical life of mission for Jesus in different expressions of that mission. And they've done it all over the world, in Brazil, in America, in Norway. Uh, they're doing it in South Africa and the Philippines this year. And in 2025, there will be an event in summer 2025 when uh, we want to see thousands and thousands of young adults and young people come together for one of those events where they see they are part of a tribe 
where they're not on their own, they're not isolated. Jesus is doing something in their generation and he's calling them to be all in for him. Now, the reason why this is so significant is their generation, 18 to 25, is the smallest generation of Christians we've had in centuries in, in this nation. Um, mm. Probably 1% of their population attend church regularly. And if they don't live for Jesus radically and reach their peers, then the church is in genuine crisis. Mm. Mm. And so I really do believe it's right at the top of God's agenda. Um, he's made this possible for it to come to the UK. I think it is something of God. And you can find it at thesend.org. And we'll be giving more details when we've got the exact date and location for 2025. So thanks so much for the opportunity to mention that. Oh, it's good. I, I, our mutual friend I was on a call with last night, Emma Stark, and she was talking about what we need to give young people that we haven't given them is a burden. Um, and that as a result of that, you know, I suppose we've, we've just said, so it would be great if you could come to church, please come to church. But there's no element of a call. There's no element of a sending of a purpose um, or a, to some extent. And for us to burden young people um, with something that's worth sacrificing and praying for and giving their lives for, you know, think about for me and, um, you know, Peter and uh, John, they leave yeah. their boats. They're still relatively young. They, yeah. they leave it all behind to come and follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, whereas we just have presented Christianity as some kind of add-on that may therapeutically help you with your struggles rather than actually saying you know what take up your cross and follow him mm -hmm. and the way to live is to die to yourself and all of those kind of things and and so you know that's my prayer for for, for, the, for the church would be bold enough to be able to confront people with the actual claims of jesus that um it is to take up the cross and follow him wherever he says and doing whatever whatever he does so, yeah, that's a remarkable thing that the send coming to the UK. Definitely ask everybody listening to, to pray for this, to help to um, speak well of it, champion it, do whatever you can in, in the Thank future. You so and maybe, yeah. um, you know, if, if, if regional things happen, which I imagine, they, you know, it's the case. Yeah, they will. Yeah, there'll be a lead up to it. There'll be, there'll be events all over the country. And it's not to build something new. It's actually just to serve the church in that generation to yes. come together. And won't exist beyond it, um, mm. but it will enable there to be so many young people that will be connected with mission agencies, with churches, with training that people are offering to mm. really mobilize. I um, mean, they, they talk yeah. about this, this is a war on inaction. We're not wanting, and it's that burden. It's saying to young people, you've mm. got a call. Don't be passive. Um, step into the call mm. that Jesus has for you. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, I was... 21 when I gave my life to Christ and I remember not long after that coming to the, the free trade hall here in Manchester and there's people like Clive Calvert and others oh, there yeah. and it was full of people my age and younger as was the you know around that time we had the message first starting going in the Apollo theatre and it just seemed to me to be a Christian was the most exciting yeah. thing you know I was in the police at the time people would think I had an exciting job but the way that the life of Christ was being presented to them was, was an adventure. And I think for many young people, that would be the last 
connection they would make in their mind, unfortunately, because <laughs> they hear church and they have a picture that um, yeah. it is, it's not that, whatever it is. Yeah. So I'm so excited. But And there is something about going to these things. Obviously, we've had the... This, our young people are away at Limitless this year, have been away at that. Yeah. And I mean, the reports that are coming back from, from that are phenomenal for our young people in our church. They're, they're hungry for God. And yeah. that is, you know... Um, it's and they've actually got something that is so attractive to their yeah. peers in you know in, in the crises that they face and the lack of um direction and the yeah. fragmentation of identity and and of who am i today <laughs> who am i meant yeah. to be today and they can't figure that out and to be able to connect them with who god says they are and what god says they can do i, I think the church has to seize this moment where it seems to be um, to some extent, so hopeless, but we've mm. got hope. So, John, would you, uh, unless there's anything you want to say as we're closing out, I'd love it um, if you just prayed in, into that perhaps for us. And yeah, you know, we will be praying for you and uh, the, the many hats it seems that you're now wearing, um, but you know, also for you and your family and for uh, just the Lord to stay close to you. Mm. Thank you for being Thank on you. the Future Church podcast today. Um, I'm going to close out. John's going to pray in a minute, but just say to people, if if this has been encouragement to you, we're not advertising, we're not doing anything else. The best way you can help us would be to just like this, to comment, review, and maybe share with somebody else who you think might be encouraged. And I can't think of anybody, especially in church leadership, who wouldn't be encouraged by the things that we've heard today. So, John, why don't you, you pray for us, please? Yeah, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are Lord of your church. Thank you that you have a future for your church and uh, that we can look to the future with hope because of you. Uh, but as we've talked about uh, the challenges we face, we just humble ourselves before you. Uh, we ask for mercy where uh, we've got this wrong, uh, where there are still things that you need to work within us that are not of you. And we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would work afresh in us uh, to help us in whatever our context of calling and, uh, and mission is, to be those who are following you, who are responsive to you, Lord, and are seeing the kingdom come and the gospel proclaimed and people coming to Jesus. That's what we long for. Um, so reform us, start in us. And Lord, help us in all that we've got uh, in our part to play. Uh, so thank you that we can trust in you, Jesus, as you reign in all of your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, John. I'm going to give one last plug for your tremendous book, The Church of Tomorrow. It's published by SPCK. Such a helpful, prophetic book um, that I really urge everybody in any form of leadership or aspiring to such in the church or in in, in the ways that the church is, as we've just been praying for, uh, growing, the plant is growing off the trellis. <laughs> and uh, if that picture excites you, you need to read this book. Thanks so much, John. Thanks so much, Anthony. It's been a joy. Thank you. Thank you.